My name is Drew, um, and I'm really grateful to have this opportunity to share my story for a second time, um, especially in this community um, where it's very safe to do so, and um, where we can do a, a lot of work for all of us um, by leaning into this uncomfortable conversation. Um, I hope that a lot of people um, can benefit from what we'll be talking about tonight. Um, over the course of the years, it's taken from the age of six to I'm almost 29 now. Um, and from that time, I've uh, been able to go from a victim to advocate. And that's an advocate for other survivors. Uh, but also, in this last year, it's taken me to be an advocate for offenders, which is um, kind of an intense thing. Um, and I'll get into that more later. Um, I realize that um, it's quite likely that I'm not the only survivor in the room. Um, so um, at any point, if this conversation is too triggering, um, I won't be offended if somebody needs to excuse themselves. Um, please make self-care the highest priority for yourself tonight. Um, and this is also a safe place uh, to express emotions. Um, yeah, we have tissues and um, yeah. Feel free to have the experience. Um, yeah, that's perfect for you. Um, I also would like to thank the people who don't necessarily have this as a part of their personal narrative, but people who are just here to learn and um, understand this conversation and how deep um, this kind of thing can go as far as the personal healing that it takes to come from these kinds of things. Um, as Nicole mentioned, this is my second time giving the talk. And since giving the talk last year, I've learned so much, um, not only about myself, but about the topic in general. Um, last year, I only gave my talk um, because I thought I was ready to. And that proved to not be the case. Um, yeah, when I gave my talk last year, I ended up um, kind of tailspitting me for a while, and it ripped off a scab, it took me from a place where I thought I was comfortable and secure in my path and process of healing, and made me realize that there were very many layers that were revealing themselves to me, um, which was really unsettling to be someplace where I thought that I was comfortable and ready, and then it just totally shifted that. To a, um, yeah, an unfortunate place. It's been a long year. <laughs> um, yeah, so as I mentioned, this experience has, was from the age of six until now, and it's taking me all that time to really find a place where um, I'm experiencing freedom in myself and navigating all the things that, all the layers um, that were affecting me before. Um, and during that experience, I dived into what is darkness, as dark as um, maybe not the darkest that a human can go, but um, to very dark places in my life throughout um, high school and college, and especially high school. Um, it took me a long time. I, initially, I was um, coping by being a bully in school. Um, so I did a lot of really mean things to other kids. Um, 
which is really, you know, I'm just, that was just me projecting my insecurities and trying to make myself feel better um, at someone else's expense. Um, and luckily I rec recognize that. Um, but, and I'll mention too that uh, I'm not gonna go, my, my last year's talk, it was a really in-depth storyline of the whole timeline that I experienced, focusing a lot more on um, the earlier years. And I'm not gonna be going through all those things tonight. I really wanna get into where this year has taken me. Um, but I wanna focus on key points that were really, uh, like as I mentioned, diving the darkness. Um, I wanna mention that um, when I was 16, I had uh, received my driver's privileges and I was able to do my own thing and kind of be out in the world on my own. And I went to the county fair, which I frequented and I always had animals and my family spent every single day at the fair. Um, but this year, um, I was walking through uh, some of the, the games that you can play, and sure enough, there's my abuser, working a game uh, surrounded by kids. And so I had this really intense moment of being by myself and realizing the intensity of that and feeling all this emotion inside myself, all this hatred and anger. Um, so the darkest I ever dove was um, being committed to actually take his life. Um, so I had fully evaluated a plan, formulated a plan to um, douse him in gasoline and torch him um, where he was working. And so that is a super intense thing uh, to be 16 and contemplating taking someone's life. And luckily I never found him again. Um, I looked, walked and walked and walked and looked for him and I never saw him again. So that was a major turning point in my life that I'm very grateful that um, that's how it worked out because I either would have uh, been successful and been in the juvie system for the rest of my life or, you know, however that would have worked out. I was 16, so it's not hard to try somebody as an adult two years later for something like that. Um, or I would have gotten away with it and had to live with that and had just had that other layer to carry with me um, to come back from. And um, that was also the, sa the same year that I finally told my mom. I hadn't, I hadn't conversated or told anyone in my life that I was aware of until I was 16. And finally, that year after I um, wasn't able to find my abuser for the second time, um, I had a sudden tailspin in my life and my emotions and processing um, the decisions that I had made to commit to something like that. Um, and my mom sat with me for three hours uh, while I just cried on my bed. And she's, she, for the longest time, didn't understand why I was always crying, why I was always acting out in school, um, why I had all these difficulties um, with my grades and stuff. Um, and so finally, just her persistence and sitting there with me long enough, I was able to communicate for the first time what was going on for me. And um, the real cause of all of it to come back into my awareness, because I repressed these memories for the longest time. I wouldn't allow myself to look at it. And it was actually navigating uh, sex ed in school. And in uh, closed-minded Dark County, Ohio, sex education is very fear-based. And so talking about 
oh, if you have sex with one person, you, um, you can have an STD, and you've had sex with everyone they've ever had sex with, and you know, there's all this dogmatic, um, oppressive language in that. And uh, when I was hearing those things from the teachers, all the memories just started flooding back. And then I was afraid that I had an STD, and you know, I'm you know, dying, I'm sick, and I had all this anxiety as a kid just from that alone. And that's when it really all came back for me. Um, so once I was able to communicate that to my mom, um, that just created a brand new um, openness, a breath of fresh air. Um, it really helped me out in a big way where um, um, my relationship with uh, the, being a bully completely changed. Um, I started, my relationship with my brothers totally changed. I have a twin brother. And for the longest time, we hated each other. We both, um, he was dealing with his own trauma uh, in our childhoods that I was unaware of. And that was him navigating being um, um, gay in a family where um, it was totally unacceptable. And I even had friends that weren't allowed to come over because they were gay. And so, um, but we didn't know that our, each other's stories. So that whole experience, we were always fighting for like, you know, all oh, my stories harder than yours, you know, and we so we fought a lot, and we had, um, yeah, it was a really unfortunate time. But after that, I became very close to my brothers, and um, I never, I didn't talk to my twin about it until I was, I think, 21, 22, in college, and I just recently, um, three weeks ago, if that had the conversation with my older brother for the first time, which was really incredible. Um, yeah, so things started to level out for me, and um, I found a more firmer footing in my life and security and navigating the world as a human being. Um, I went off to college and um, found myself um, where I was surrounded in community and familiarity and um, it was easy to navigate, but as soon as I left my hometown and was the only person that I knew um, where I was going to school, um, that security was gone and the walls closed in on me and it just forced more of my insecurities and more of my subconscious hurt to the surface in a way that um, made me really uncomfortable in my life. And uh, for instance, the experience itself happened in a bathroom, in the kindergarten bathroom. And so suddenly I'm, you know, 20 years old, trying to go to the bathroom in public, and I was having anxiety. And um, a lot of male bathrooms have urinals lined up on a wall with no divider, and that's very common for guy bathrooms. Um, and that was a, a thing that was really, really difficult for me to navigate. And even just being in the bathroom with anyone being in there, I would turn around and leave. And so I had countless uh, awkward moments where I would walk in to the bathroom, make eye contact with somebody who had no idea what I was dealing with, and then I would walk, turn around and walk away. And I can't imagine what that looked like for other people, like, oh, what the hell's going on with this guy? Um, and so I felt, I felt very uh, defeated by that, being 20 years old and not being able to navigate a public restroom <laughs> comfortably. Um, so what I'm going to focus on Mostly in this talk, I'd like to really focus on what the steps I took um, 
to move towards healing and overcoming these hurdles and challenges. Um, and so as I started experiencing this anxiety in bathrooms, I started, it was the first time that I sought out meditation as a tool for um, self-reflection. And that was a really key turning point also in my life. Um, and I, I didn't meditate a ton, but I started just dabbling in it and learning different modalities. And um, but I started to sit with these things, these things that were just the idea like, okay, I'm uncomfortable in bathrooms. I'm going to hang out with that thought. I'm going to hang out with that reality and just sit with it and see if I can't just air it out and give it room to breathe and um, see if I have any insights come in uh, to help me navigate that. And so finally, I decided what I was going to do was if I would walk into the bathroom, um, I would, and there was somebody else in there, I would go to the stall and just sit down and do my business and leave. And so that was a really good step in just facing being in that space. And then over the course of probably a year after starting to do this work, I finally said, okay, if there's nobody in the bathroom and I have to pee, I'm just going to go to the urinal. And then if somebody else comes in, I, I can't just, you know, uh, stop what I'm doing. Um, so that forced me into the experiences where finally I was standing there on the wall, uh, using the bathroom next to someone uh, with no divider. Um, and I definitely didn't rush into it. None of, the, none of the steps that I've taken to move towards freedom have come with a short time frame. It's all been years and years, months and months, uh, to finally cross these hurdles. But once I finally had that experience, um, it was just like a slingshot of just happiness and like, wow, I did this thing. I overcame this thing. And it gave me a lot of strength. Um, and it, it was a strength. It was a false strength. But I settled into this place where I was comfortable again after leaving my hometown and having the walls come in and realizing these, uh, this neurotic behavior that I was expressing. Um, and that led me, uh, I started talking about it more and more. So finally, my friends, my closest friends, I was talking to, sharing my story with them. And, and that really opened up a really beautiful thing where I was able to talk to a lot of people who had also never really been able to share their stories. And that was really powerful to um, just to have that dialogue and to, you know, you really like the, the biggest thing in all of this is you feel so alone. You feel like it's all just you against the world. And that's not the case. Um, but it's really hard to realize that. Um, So basically that comfortable place that I settled into um, back in college, back when I was 24, when I really finally wrapped up that work, um, yeah, I was just comfortable for a long time with myself and with, it, with, with that experience, thinking that I was totally through all my healing work and it was all behind me, everything's good now. Um, and then that's when I came to my first mindful community conversation. Um, and I knew that, okay, this is, this is a good step for me. This is, this is going to help me um, just keep moving through this. Um, but as I mentioned before, when I gave this talk last year, I thought I was totally ready, and I was not. Um, and this last year, 
um, has been, well, I can easily say that I've never cried so much in my entire life in, in this last year, for sure. But it's been a positive experience all in all, for sure. Um, I left the talk and went immediately to uh, a festival that I was vending my pottery at in Lolo. So there was no, no pause, there was no <laughs> hangout and uh, integrate, reflect. It was bam, right to a festival. And um, I was spinning and the people that were helping me bend and around me, they knew that I was spinning. Um, and this is when a lot of other subconscious fears that I wasn't, I was never aware of before this started coming to the surface. Um, and I had this really interesting experience at the festival where um, actually Sherry, um, she gave me a, a bubble wand. She's like, you just need to go play. You just need to, you know, we'll, we'll watch your booth and you just go play. And so I took the bubbles and I went out into the field and the wind was blowing and I just started playing with these bubbles and just watching the bubbles scatter across the open field. And um, suddenly all these kids from all around the festival started running through the bubbles and playing. And um, it was this really beautiful, like joyful thing to watch. And, um, and then I just looked over and there was this woman sitting in a booth or like it was like a tent for just shade, just a place for people to hang out out of the heat. And uh, she actually had bought in one of my things earlier in the day. And I was like, oh, hey, do you want to play with the bubbles too? And uh, I immediately became aware that was, she was super uncomfortable with uh, me and with what I was doing. And she was, um, I was, it was clear, very clear to me that was, she was projecting um, a past sexual uh, trauma experience that she had had onto me. And she was viewing me as a pedophile, as if I were, um, you know, trying to groom these kids out of the, away from their parents. And so what she was doing immediately, she was um, just like, I asked her if she wanted to play with the bubbles. And then she was like, no, please stay away from me. Uh, you're crazy, please like step away. And, and she was just going on and on and on about, while I'm just like standing there in shock, realizing what she's doing and realizing that this is her hurt that she's projecting onto me. And then like also being viewed as a pedophile and then being surrounded by kids. And I'm holding a bubble wand. And like, whew, holy shit. Um, and so I just, whew, I found my breath. And um, the parents were also kind of meandering to following their kids behind them. And um, it was, I was just trying to, you know, maintain my composure in the intense situation. Um, but I approached one of the parents and I said, hey, this is for you guys. Please play with these. And I needed to excuse myself. I needed to get out of that. Um, just from understanding what she was feeling and projecting onto me. And so I walked back to my booth and um, this, then I just realized that by me sharing my story publicly last year, I had lost a certain layer of privacy to my life. And that now I had this fear that now that people knew my story, that they would view me as a pedophile. And even beyond that, that because I have been through that experience that somehow that it wasn't me. I was afraid that that was a part of my experience and that I could possibly um, continue the cycle. You know, that was, and I, that's not the case for me. I've never had those thoughts and I've worked at a summer camp and um, it took me a long time to realize like, hey dipshit, you've never had those thoughts. You've worked with kids 
for years. You know, why are you afraid of that? But it was just carrying that as a part of my experience as another layer to heal from. And, um, but most of it was just being afraid of being viewed as a pedophile or being viewed as someone that was unsafe around kids. And so that's really what's come up for me in the last year. Um, yeah, it was a really big part of my last um, layer of the onion, onion for sure. Um, yeah, so I had a roommate a couple years back. They started working for Opportunity Resource. I, both of my roommates at the time worked for Opportunity Resource. And they have two programs. They have the traumatic brain injuries, and then they have a program called Special Services. And the Special Services is um, the clients are registered offenders that can't be in public by themselves. They have to have a chaperone at all times. They're basically under house arrest for the rest of their lives. And uh, my roommate Dan started working with these guys. And from that, from the moment that we were always uh, asking, I was always asking him questions and um, just hearing about his experiences in that program, I knew that someday it was going to be really beneficial for me to approach that occupation. Um, I was still working at the Good Food Store at the time full time and um, trying to kick off some side projects. And so it really wasn't feasible for me to do that at that time. But I, that's where I started thinking about it and contemplating it and um, knowing that I'm going to slowly move in this direction because nobody's healing can happen overnight. Nothing, you know, I can't, nobody should jump into these things. Um, without taking time with it and being gentle with themselves. And um, that was the biggest thing. So that was two years ago. Um, and then last year, I uh, quit my job at the Good Food Store, started taking more time for my projects. And, um, but I also came to the point where I had a financial gap in my needs for my bills and stuff. And so I was like, okay, well now's the time. Now's the time for me to think about actually doing the thing that I thought about doing. Um, and so I applied for the job, and uh, right now I'm, I've been a sub now for probably six or seven months now. Um, but I took so much time, so much time in actually working an actual shift in one of the group homes. Um, I went through all the trainings and made sure that, because um, a lot was coming up for me as I approached this. There was a lot, um, a lot of difficult emotions, realizing that I do still have um, anger. I do still have resentment. You know, I never had the opportunity to truly, safely um, confront my abuser. So this was the only real chance that I had to do that was to um, um, actually see what came up for me when I was working directly with registered offenders. Um, and over the last, I've, I've, I came across this thing, um, it was a while back, but um, there was this guy doing this incredible work uh, in Hawaii, and it was a clinic for the criminally insane. Um, that's the, the best, easiest description of what this place did. Um, and basically, the clients and the staff at this place were really disharmonic. The clients were really hard to deal with. Uh, the staff had a hard time communicating with one another and being cohesive as a team. And this guy was there studying um, the, Hawaii the native Hawaiian 
spirituality and seeing how it could apply um, yeah, to a broader world. And so he took a phrase that is from the Hawaiian culture. It says, Ho'oponopono. Um, I've shared this before in the sharing circles at Monday nights. But um, what it means is, I'm sorry, forgive me. Thank you. I love you. And so what he did while he was working, he didn't work with any of the clients. He didn't work with any of the staff. All he did was walk into the office and read files on what these people had done. And he would sit with what came up, his judgments, because uh, it's very easy to judge people for uh, atrocities that they've committed, um, especially when you haven't experienced um, trauma in your own life. And so he would sit with these files and read the profiles of these clients, and he would um, just sit with that phrase, ho'oponopono, when he would have judgments and anything, any thoughts that were negative about these people and what they had done. And by doing his own work, uh, and not he didn't interact with anybody except for his own self-work, um, he watched everything in that place shift. Um, so it's incredible what can happen um, just with our, with our own um, energies. When we do our work, it ripples out into the world. And there's studies now that prove that. Um, so this guy watched uh, the clients becoming more cohesive and not acting out as much and the staff suddenly were being able to communicate with one another and things were not as difficult to navigate just from him sitting in the office and meditating. And so that when I heard about that, that really stuck with me. Um, and it's something that I thought about for a long time and I knew that that was how I was going to approach this situation, working at Opportunity Resource. And as I mentioned, taking all the time that I needed, I finally got to the training that was specifically for working with the offenders. And they are not bashful as, as to what you're gonna be dealing with. There's, it's not something that they, um, they don't hide anything. You get in there and they tell you the, um, the hard stuff. And, they, and I felt myself, uh, I felt um, my trauma body in that moment when I were watching the videos and listening to the stories and I could feel my body closing off and I knew that if anybody was actually looking at me and not the person talking that they would know that I'm having a very intense situation and so I kept feeling myself being closed off and whew, I just breathe back into it and open back up and and then I would not pay attention for a minute and I'd be back curled up again and, and so I kept doing that and um, just leaning into it and um, yeah, doing the best that I could to, uh, to not cry <laughs> in the office. <laughs> um, but uh, that really prepared me. Uh, I, I, I sat with the Ho'oponopono, and um, that was really the hardest part, honestly, was going through the training to prepare myself to be working with these guys. And so probably about a month later, I still took plenty of time, and they have a lot of people, because I was signing on as a sub, a lot of people sign up as subs, go through the training, get paid for their training, and then never do a sub shift. That happens with them a lot, unfortunately. Um, and so the, the, I could tell that they were kind of like, yeah, okay, we'll never see this guy again. <laughs> Kept calling me to pick up shifts. I'm like, oh, I'm not ready yet. I'm too busy. <laughs> um, but finally, I was like, okay, now's the time. I need, and I really needed the money. I needed the, the income stream. So 
Uh, I signed up for my first shift, and I had uh, an orientation at two of the houses in one day. And so I went to the first house, and um, I could feel myself being closed off and really afraid, and um, and just thinking like these guys have no idea what I'm doing here. <laughs> um, but I ended up, um, it was so much easier than the training. And even though, yes, these guys are all offenders and they've all done things that are really terrible, but um, it was so easy to see through that when you look in some, into someone's life, somebody's life who's just trying to carry on, somebody who's just trying to move into the future in a positive way after being labeled <coughs> the way that they are. Um, but the very first experience that was really intense for me um, right away, I was talking to one of the clients, and um, and a lot of these clients are they're very much um, stuck in their child minds and their um, developmentally delayed in different aspects. And um, this guy, he's, he asked me, "Oh, hey," he was really excited to show me something in his bedroom, you know. And that's it's a normal thing for people to be in that space for you know working. And um, but I was like whoa, you want me to go into your bedroom and show me something? Like, that was, you know, it just made me incredibly uncomfortable immediately. And then I looked over to my manager, and she's like, yeah, it's okay, you, you can go up. And I was like, okay. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I, I followed him up into his room, and he was just showing me um, the artwork, artwork that he had done. And he has a, a very strong passion on, of for um, construction equipment. And he used to work construction, and... Um, be doing that heavy machinery stuff. And so now he kind of has a fixation on that because it used to be his life before treatment and this lifelong house arrest kind of thing. Um, and so he would, would draw pictures of different equipment and he had a book, books of equip different equipment magazines. And um, he was so excited to share that with me. And it, so it was so easy to see that, yes, this person can clearly easily be labeled as, um, you know, well, I should say that our society tucks these people into the darkest corner because we don't know how to deal with them. We don't know how to, to navigate what it takes to really offer them uh, the rehabilitation. Um, yeah, so it was just immediate, like, ah, oh, yeah, like this, this guy still has his innocence. Like he's still just another human being trying to do his best to navigate his life and um, it was very easy for me to have compassion for him because I had already done the work of um, dealing with my um, my anger and my resentment towards these kinds of people. Um, yeah, so that was, and I, I don't work at that house very much at all. But in, uh, the second place I, I oriented that day um, was where I work most now. And so I we left that house after meeting the clients and then went to this other place, and uh, this place was totally different because it was six clients, four apartments, and the other place was one apartment, two clients. And this, I walked in, and uh, my manager was having to get a little riled up because there was, there were some issues happening as we walked in, so it was like really intense all at once. And it's like, hi, I'm the new guy, hello. Um, but I could also just feel like these guys, every single person that comes into their life knows that they're an offender. They know that they're, you know, they can never get away from that label. And so there's, there's a guard that they have up, like, uh, and it's because they've had to deal with this since whatever happened for them. 
Um, but I realized that it wasn't, you know, I was safe. I was safe in this environment. I didn't need to worry. And by leaning into it, I was facing some really powerful things in my life. And then I got that same day the opportunity um, to do exactly what that guy did with the Ho'oponopono stuff. And so when you orient at a house, they want you to know the details. They want you to know why these guys are here. They want you to know what you're getting yourself into. And so I got to sit in the office and read files. And I was blown away with like, wow, I'm, I'm able to do the exact thing that has inspired me so much from this thing that I read a while back with the Ho'oponopono work. Um, and that was just an incredible moment where I got to spend a couple hours just reading these files and sitting with myself and just seeing what came up for me as I would read the details. And I did find myself, you know, closing off more and feeling my trauma body. But I also was able to breathe into my trauma body and whew, reopen my energy and be present with what, what it was that I was reading. Um, and so this was just my first day working actually with the clients. Um, and I left that day and I was, um, I was feeling insane. I couldn't describe how I was feeling. I didn't know how to put words to the emotion that I was feeling. And um, I oftentimes sit in meditation and I'll just ask, you know, what is, I'll ask questions to myself. The, the part of me that doesn't know is asking me the part that I know knows. Um, and so I was sitting in my car, like feeling this incredible energy and just wondering how the hell, what is this? How am I feeling? And I closed my eyes and sat with myself for a little while. And um, when I asked again, how am I feeling? What is this? I saw a clip to the Aladdin movie and um, uh, the part where Aladdin makes his third wish so that the genie can be free. And I just see the shackles come off the genie's arms. And I realized that that was me. That's how I'm feeling. I'm feeling free for the first time in my life. And I was able to just just pour out all these tears. And that was the most incredible moment of healing out of all my, my whole experience, easily. Um, and then I realized that I wasn't the only one that got off at that time and that there are other employees coming out and they're seeing me crying in my car and I'm like, okay, I gotta go. <laughs> um, but it was, yeah, it was just really incredible to have that moment where I leaned into a really comfortable place and then found what I was looking for for the first time in so many so many years and since then um, the the eight months to follow that have been equally as incredible um, building relationships and friendships with these guys and seeing them seeing the the life that they live seeing that every day they live with this label all of them would take it back in a heartbeat if they could. Um, all of them also have been abused in their own childhoods. And that's something that I've assumed and been aware of, that I know that my abuser was most likely abused in his childhood. And then it's a cycle that unfortunately keeps going. Um, and so, yeah, just sticking, holding close to the, that Hawaiian phrase, in every shift that I worked and um, 
I started bringing some clay projects, and so all the guys were really excited. I would let each one make one thing in a round, and so um, they sit with me while I make my stuff. And um, and most of our job there is, it's really, it's chill. You might not think that the job would be described as <laughs> with the word chill, but um, it's just normal people stuff. And but you're you're censoring the TV. So commercials that have kids in them, you have to pass forward. And um, so that's most of what I'm doing is I'm watching TV. I'm watching movies and hanging out, watching people play video games and just watching these people get on with their lives and try to have a normal, a normal life. And the program is designed there to graduate people because there are different tiers of offenders. There's tier one, two, and three. And that's based on the likelihood to reoffend. And so there's um, the higher tier you are, the less likely you are to, or the more time you have to be in treatment um, before you even have the chance to get out. And not all offenders go into those programs. Some some of them are able to get out of prison and go directly into the community. They have rules, and they have to follow the rules, and they have uh, parole officers that check in with them quite frequently, but. Um, they are able to kind of navigate their lives on their own. Um, but for most of the guys in this program, most of them will be in the program their whole lives. There's really no, it, it, there's a chance, but um, it's pretty rigorous. And, um, you know, of course we have to, we have to hold these people accountable. There has to be accountability. There has to be um but it was really interesting for me to, to be thinking a lot about, you know, how do these guys heal? How do we, as a society, um, integrate them back in and make sure that there is room for them to be integrated back in? And so that's been my biggest contemplation. And I hope that I've actually approached the director there at an opportunity resource of that program. I sent him a link to my um, talk last year. and. He was invited tonight, and um, he knows. I, told, I just sent him an email about my story and that I'm willing to give this talk for groups of clients, uh, either one-on-one -on -one or groups. Um, I told him that I didn't want to. Nobody should be forced to, have, to listen to this conversation if they don't want to, if they're not ready. But um, I feel like that's the only way, um, that's the, the, the best way to have healing for these guys is to sit with someone who's willing to talk with them as a survivor and also not judge them. And it took me you know, many, many years to get to that point, but um, there was one client in particular that um, we had a lot of uh, shared interests and it was really easy to build a friendship with this guy. And, um, and a lot of the time you have is one-on-one. -on -one. You're in their apartment with them and or you're driving, taking them to the grocery store or whatever. and um, over the course of that eight months, I slowly tiptoed to sharing my story with him. And um, I definitely, yeah, took my time doing this because um, I realized that would be really intense for an offender to suddenly be talking, realizing that they're, they're talking to a survivor. Um, but we had this incredible conversation where I was able to tell my story in full detail, and then he got to tell me his story. He got to tell me um, his offenses and 
his time in prison and the 14 years post-prison that he's been in the system in these different programs. And then after he told me about that, he told me about his abuse in his childhood. And for the first time in his life since um, getting into the system, he got to talk to somebody that he trusted and that he could feel that he wasn't being judged. Um, and he, he shared with me before that, you know, they have weekly therapy sessions, but it's not, it's helpful, but it's not, um, they don't feel comfortable. They don't truly feel safe and comfortable in sharing everything um, with these people. And so it's been really incredible. Uh, and this, this conversation just happened like four weeks ago. And so this is, this is like up until the present moment for the, uh, the continuation for this talk. Um, yeah, and it's been really mind-blowing. But now I'm stepping into a place where um, I know that I'm closing the chapter for myself and that I don't have to carry this into the future. Um, I know that there will always be a scar, for sure. Um, but it's not something that um, weighs me down anymore. Um, yeah, and I'm really grateful for all of that. Um, I think it's really important to say that, especially to uh, um, other people who are navigating the healing process, um, that I think I've been thinking about this a lot. Like, okay, I'm going to share the story of how I eventually worked with offenders directly. Like, that's a really intense thing, and I imagine that there's people who are survivors that would never imagine stepping into something like that. And um, I just want to say that wherever we are in our journey is perfect. This moment is perfect. Where we are in our lives is perfect. Um, and, yeah. I just want to make sure that that's said. Um, but I do hope that my talk encourages others to lean into those uncomfortable places. Um, but everybody's story is different. And honestly, though my experience has taken me this long and has affected my life in such a way, honestly, it was very tame, very, very mild. It happened one time, and it was not as intense as the stories that I've been able to hear and listen to and um, throughout all these years. And so I'm very lucky. Um, and I can't imagine what it would take to come back from some of the other stories that I've heard. Um, yeah, so it's really important to be gentle with ourselves, and um, yeah, I guess I just want to thank everybody for being here tonight, and we can all be advocates in our own right, and we can all be uh, just a year for listening, and there's so many, so many people um, that have trauma in their lives, even beyond sexual abuse. There's so many people that are hurting out there that don't I do feel all alone, and, um, and they're just carrying that in their lives. And so I hope that we can go out there and be advocates for those people and to let this um, ripple out into the world. Because it's, yeah, if there's ever been a more potent need for healing, it's now. Thank you.